donkey. Dave Holmes, I'm hiding self-view. Why would you do that? I, w- don't you just stare at yourself if you're in on a Zoom meeting and you can see yourself? Well, right now I'm just staring at you, my friend. Well, thank you. But I, I just mean that's the tendency that we all have. That is, yeah, I, that is true. That is true. I, I sat in on a book club last week and I found that I was looking at myself the whole time. Which well, that's weird. what we do. What was the book? It was my book. <gasps> I was I was a guest in a in a book club in Atlanta, Georgia. They were reading my oh, book wow. on social media, and I was like, "Yes, I do have the time to drop by your meeting." That's um, the best. So and you maybe were I like, was um, looking at myself because I couldn't. I, it was difficult for me to look at them in the face. Sure, and it was you were the star of the show. I mean, well, uh, that's I love that because it's like. It the Sex and the City movie when Carrie, or no, the end of Sex and the City, Carrie is going to do a appear at a book club. You know, anyway, it doesn't matter. No, it's uh, I get uh, it, I get how, it, and I love it. How and was I it? Ask myself. It was. It was. It was lovely. It was really. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It's a bunch of fun gals in uh, in suburban Atlanta. You know, distant, drinking Chardonnay. You know, Cute. some of them have teenage kids. A couple of those teenage kids have come out. So that like Aww. getting to talk through that experience was lovely. It was it was it was great. I am available really for book clubs, did. really, is the message. I'd love to maybe get a snippet of that and play it as a segment or something. You talking with the, with book I, clubbers. Had I only recorded it, but I didn't. Oh, well. How are you? What's going on? Um, 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 I'm good. We have uh, a terrific episode this week. Oh my God. The incomparable John Benjamin Hickey. I love this guy. I've been wanting to get him on the show for a million years. He is just a good dude and so fascinating and recovering from COVID at the time That's we right. spoke. That's right. We spoke so timely. A little, little earlier in quarantine. Uh, and yeah, he's just uh, such... Um, uh, a legend of yeah. stage and screen and endless stories and not afraid to spill the tea yeah. when not needed. A, not afraid to reveal that he met Andy Cohen from a 976 line back in the day. Yeah. I appreciate that. I, I am post-shame about that. I used to call those numbers my own self. You did what you had to do in 1994. He's such a delight. And I have been, I actually don't, I've, I've been, this is where I'm at during the day. On my laptop, I'm binging The Good Wife. Yeah. Season one, late season one. Uh-huh. And then at night, Michael and I together are watching The Good Fight, which of oh, course is wow. a spinoff and is set later in the future. So it's these universes are colliding. But anyway, time John Benjamin does pop up in one or both shows, and it's always love to see him. Anyway, he's great. He's just he's great. great. Um, so this week, um, and I, I've been meaning to check in with you and see how you're how you're recovering, how you're processing. Um, this was the week of the Zac Efron dad bod. So how right. how are you? It was so liberating just to see a real body represented yeah. on screen like that. You know, wasn't that nice? Yeah. Whoever wrote that headline that this was Zac Efron's dad bod. I need to see your bod, and yeah. I need to see your dad. <laughs> because I I don't like that he is so far out of orbit in both of those departments, still perfection. And I have have you watched the show that they're that this is about no. the the Zach no, Efron? I, I mean, no. the part of it that was interesting to me. I mean, 
uh, I'm sure people know this, but we, you know, the, there is a before after picture out there and then like a New York post headline about Zach Efron's quote unquote dad bod. And of course yeah. his dad bod is still incredibly ripped and, and muscular and kind of unattainable, just not as yeah. psychotically yeah. shredded as he was previously, but it is, it is, it is heartening to know that I think while filming this show, Zach Efron got to like eat carbs for the first time. And it was kind of a yeah. spiritual experience, which what an I'm exciting happy liberation. for him. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I haven't seen the show. I will. I am in my spare time. I am tearing through. Find me the, uh, the oh, sequel yeah. to call me by your name, which was given to me by you. Um, it is absolutely terrific. I am. I'm am loving it. I'm just, it's, it's I'm sumptuous. So glad. I'm so glad. And I, you know, I will admit I have, uh, I have it and did not read it, but I just skipped ahead and I'd read some spoilers. I just wanted to know I what see. happened with our guys. Okay. And okay. okay. You know, well, I'm a little I'm not disappointed. There yet. I'm not there yet. I'm not there right. yet. Okay. 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 Um, yeah. It, it, I will say the, the first three quarters take you in directions you do not expect to go. All right. Right. Is all I'll say, but it's fantastic. And if you want to put a book club together around it, I'm down. Um, speaking of books, oh, yeah. speaking of literature, <laughs> yeah. we have been soliciting my first time slash flesh hunger stories. Just stories right. of, you know, our fumbling, bumbling first times. Uh, and someone sent one in that is not short. Now, I, I should remind listeners, we're, we're soliciting these things. It, so, it sounds like we're collecting smut. We're not. It is all about, you know, adolescence and, and uncertainty. Um, you can send in audio. You can send in text. You can do whatever you choose. Just send it in to homophiliapod at gmail.com. That's right. Um, today's flesh hunger story is uh, a letter. It's a letter. Would you it's like a, to jump in? I will. I'll start. I'll start. But I, I don't. I think it's it's perhaps overwhelming to take on. Completely. So I will, I will, I, I'm, I've skimmed it. I, I already can tell I'm going to need to hand it off to you. Okay. I'm here for you. Okay. Well, then let's get into it. Hi, Dave and Matt. I wanted to send in my first time slash flesh hunger experience. I do love that term so much, by the way. Great. So do we. Uh, despite being in a rather small conservative town, I came out in high school. Good on you. Uh, being one, becoming one of only two guys in the school who were openly gay. After a very close call in which I nearly lost my virginity to a girl, I realized that the relief I felt at her parents having come home was the answer I needed in my long-suffering am I gay debate. Mm. Been there. Uh, like pretty much any American high school, mine was stratified by cliques that typically claimed a specific territory as theirs. I learned early that befriending enough people in as many clicks as possible, was a survival tactic that would allow me to get through my four years of high school relatively unscathed. Tale as it, old as time. Tale as old as time. It also helped me ensure I always had the best scoops on the the school newspaper. Interesting. This is very 90210. This is very Andrea Zuckerman. Yep. Um, one morning, I sat with some of my friends in a hallway that led from the cafeteria. A guy we'll call Brad approaches us and nervously interrupts. He says, hey, you're Mike, right? Can I talk to you privately? Matt, would you like to? I'll pick it up from there. I okay. thought it was strange, but I agreed and followed him outside to a remote area hidden from view by a large protuberance in the wall. Don't know what a protuberance is, but I get mm. the picture. Anyway, yeah, I get it. 
What's up? I asked, nervous about why he wanted so much privacy. I knew of him, but couldn't really say with any certainty that I knew him. Are you gay? He blurted out. And I was certain in that moment that I was going to get the shit beat out of me. He was easily much stronger than me. And we were out of sight of anyone who might end up passing by under pure coincidence. I nodded and braced myself. Instead of his fist, what came flying at my face was his lips. He pressed them to mine so fast that I had no idea what to make of what was happening. All I knew was that I had no idea how much I wanted those lips until they were touching my own. My shock also left him an opening to French. So I ended up with his tongue in my mouth too. French kissing, not... I thought we were going to French class, but got it. Okay. Yeah, got it, got it, got it. Oh, okay. But I loved this. I wanted so much more and I melted into every second of it. I had never felt my heart thunder the way it was doing in that moment. There was no gravity. There was no school. There was no rough concrete painfully pressing against my back and head. Ouch. There was only the line where our bodies pressed together. When the first bell rang, the kiss ended, and he gave me his number and asked me to call him after school. My friends waited on me to rejoin them and could see I was somewhat dazed. I only told them I'd have to explain everything later. It was the longest school day of my entire life. Matthew? As it turns out, Brad lived walking distance from my house, and he was a latchkey kid, and this meant that we often had two to three unsupervised hours after school if we went to his place, and we made the best use of them we could, performing everything short of anal sex, but only because we couldn't find lube. The poetry kind of drops off there a little bit, but that's just, that's a note for later. Got it. He was a grade ahead of me and had his license and a small crappy pickup truck. We leave school together at the end of the day and park somewhere and make out or go to his place and do much more than make out. One one day we got really brazen and performed oral sex on each other in the bathroom of a state park. We were nearly caught by park officials and had to quickly play it off like we were examining a sample for some science project we were working on together. Wow. Dave? I don't know if the park ranger bought it. Mike, he didn't. But knowing what an awful actor I am, my guess is likely not. The prospect of having nearly been caught was exciting, but terrifying. We considered ourselves somewhere between friends with benefits and boyfriends for the remainder of his time in high school until he left for college and moved away. The trouble was, he remained in the closet, so an out and proud relationship was never an option. Mm -hmm. And I hated the idea of going back into the closet for him. I've checked up on him on social media every once in a while. It looks like he moved to California and has come out and is living his best life, which makes me extraordinarily happy for him. I wish him all the best and hope he knows how important he was to me as I grew up. Thanks for everything that you guys do. This podcast is my happy place in these chaotic times. Mike, thank you so much. Oh, Mike. For, uh, for listening and for your candor. And for your detail, that, that was, I mean, the, the description of the kiss really gave me like what I used to feel reading, you know, like Sweet Valley High and yes. like R.L. Stein books about, you know, cis straight people having right. their first kiss. Oh, really great. And I hope that situation. Absolutely. And I hope that Mike, you too are living your best life uh, wherever you may be, just yeah. like um, Brad is. Wow. That was. That was a journey that had beauty, that had, that had, it, it, it was, I, A plus, Mike. A plus. Mike understood the assignment. He absolutely did. And he completed it with flying colors. Thank absolutely. you, Mike. Wow. Um, that was, I mean, should I also, dreamed, I dreamed of that kind of situation in high school. Yeah. I, I did have, as we know, you I had, had that, that situation. situation. But this it didn't quite feel the way. 
it did for Mike uh, is uh, my hunch. But by the way, we should also share a review. We've been soliciting these finally, uh, asking people, go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review. We will read it on air. (laughs) Our message to our listeners is basically, do you like us, yes or no? Right, and the only correct answer is yes. Yes, and yeah, if it's it's no, keep it to yourself. Um, Okay, yeah, so do shall we? Where, where yes, please. Find it. Where, where oh, was I, it? Oh, I missed it. I lost it. It's it's uh, the, the the headline is much love, and we got five stars from oh, a, a fella named Barrington James, who is short and sweet. Barrington James says, "Need this podcast more than ever. The positivity, the realness, and welcomed escape from quarantine. Everybody wear a mask, register to vote, and arrest the cops who killed Brianna Taylor." Thank you, Thank you so James. much. So I editorialized you. that a little bit, but you get the point. But yeah, I mean, I think that's what he meant. You read between the lines there. Barrington, thank you. Mike, thank you. Homophiliapod at gmail.com is where you send those flesh hunger stories. We are here for them. Uh, and speaking of flesh hunger, you're going to have a lot of it for this, this week's guest. Truly. And there's a lot of flesh. He's a big, tall guy. Yeah. Um, the great, the legendary, the charming, the monstrously talented John Benjamin Hickey. Are we good? Okay. I I feel like I'm good. I'm recording. Um, Yeah. Sound good? Guys are good. Okay. okay. Yeah. You look good. Yeah. Well, I feel good. Yes. That's what's clear these days, right? That is clear. John Benjamin Hickey, where are you right now? I am in uh, East Hampton, New York. But as Love I it. I'm on the sort of the other side of the tracks. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, I came out here about, I guess, uh, six, seven weeks ago now. Um, and uh, I have settled in here and, and, feel very fortunate to have been able to, you know, get out of the city. Um, we were talking earlier about the fact that I got sick with COVID and uh, spent three weeks in my apartment um, kind of battling it out by myself, um, which is actually, uh, I, I preferred that. I have the best superintendent in the world, in, in the world. So he would go to my local diner uh, and pick me up food and leave it outside the door every day and make sure I was wow. okay. Um, so I was able to kind of do it on my own and not make, not expose myself to anybody else. My partner was actually flying into town the day I got tested from LA and his doctors very smartly said, you know what? I think maybe you guys shouldn't see each other. I think you should, uh, you should head out to the beach. Um, so I, 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 I did the whole thing by myself and in retrospect, I was happy because the one thing I didn't want to do was make anybody else sick, you know? Of course. Of course. What's the general East Hampton vibe? Are things closed down? Are people masked up? Horrible. No, people are just, you know, behaving like animals. Don't you guys read the New York Post app? Every third article in the New York Post app is like, the people in the Hamptons are the worst people in the world. And they, you know, brought it out from New York. And um, it's, it's very, very quiet here. And uh, it's quiet in a way that it usually is quiet, sort of pre-Memorial Day in the area I live in. 
Um, so it feels a little bit like normal here. You can go to the grocery store. I mean, everybody's wearing masks and gloves and they only let, you know, 10 people in at a time, but you kind of go about your normal life. Um, so it feels yes, like everything shut down, but it's a quiet life out here anyway. It's when I go back into the city and I've driven back in a couple of times to, um, to pick up mail and stuff that I needed. And the minute you hit, like right before you get into the Midtown Tunnel and you start seeing all the billboards that are like outdated mm-hmm. and then you pull into the city and you turn down Lexington Avenue and you look down Lexington and there's nobody on the streets. That's when you start to think, I'm in a Will Smith sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't he in a movie where every- Yeah, I am legend and yeah. <laughs> That's, That's what yeah. You you. A ghost town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you're in that. So it, 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 to answer your question, it doesn't feel that different out here. But um, everyone says that after Memorial Day, this place is going to kind of go crazy because there are so many New Yorkers who have places out here who are just moving out here and nobody's doing anything else this summer besides staying home, of course. Mm, of course. Of course. So when you were alone in quarantine, what, what was your day to day? What were you watching or reading that was keeping oh, you company? I had the best friends in the world. Uh, that's a very <laughs> good question. Well, I was saying to you guys that it hit me like a, a, a ton of bricks and like a freight train, a runaway train suddenly stopping dead in its tracks. Uh, uh, I tested on May 12th, which is the day they shut Broadway down. And I was just about to make my uh, Broadway directorial debut directing this revival of Plaza Suite, the Neil Simon play with uh, Matthew Broderick and Sarah Jessica Parker. And we'd done a run in Boston. We were having our invited dress that night. And it really was that day was like, and the band played on. We were all, everybody was on stage in costume, makeup, lights, running through the show, like the, you know, the, the orchestra on the Titanic and knowing that the plug was going to get pulled. The plug got pulled. I went to my doctors, tested, and then got brutally sick. So there was a part of me that was, uh, relieved that the plug had been pulled on Broadway because I was like, I wouldn't have been able to go to see my fucking play anyway. I was yeah. so out of it. But I, um, I watched so much TV and the thing that I watched that I've now watched a second time, have you guys seen this German show called Babylon Berlin? No. Oh, do tell. God. It's the best show on television. It may be the best thing I've ever seen. It's a German uh, produced show. Um, it's the most expensive show in the history of Europe, and it shows, um, but that doesn't necessarily make a show good. This is just good because it's good. And it's about uh, Berlin in 1928, the Weimar Republic, right before the Nazis came into power. And it's um, a detective story. It's a sexy nightclub story. And it's absolutely extraordinary. I'm stunned you guys don't know it. You, I've, I've just given you a great gift. Uh, I love it. Yeah, because there. How do we find it? It's on Netflix. Netflix. And my my huge advice that usually everybody knows, but Netflix has a funny way of making you wanting you to watch it dubbed. But of course, you don't want to watch it dubbed. You want to watch it in German with subtitles. It's three seasons. I think there's about twenty five episodes. You're not going to believe how beautiful and sexy and wonderful the two leads are. Uh, these two German actors. Um, and it's just a story of Berlin in 1928. And they were like my best friends. 
And I spent the whole two weeks with those guys uh, watching that show. And then when I got well and finally got out to Long Island and met up with my partner, I made him watch it and I watched the whole thing again. That's how Oh good. my God. Oh and the God. other thing I watched that just has to, it's just such a perfect um, pairing with this is there's this uh, network here that I'm sure is a national network called MeTV, which runs on oh, yeah. Heroes. And yeah, I watch the Waltons every day. And I hadn't seen the Waltons since I was a kid. And it, it was such a, a balm to my soul, to my very sick soul. Because the Waltons, you know, the, you, the, the, like a moral order is always kind of semi-restored to the universe by the end of that show. So watching the Waltons, they really, they really got me through it. And I, I started taping the show and I just saw they, that it was on my DVR list. And I was like, oh, I haven't spent time with the Waltons since I was really sick. But that show has aged very well. You're probably all too young to remember the Waltons, but... Oh, oh I absolutely remember the Waltons. Yeah, it was a very big part of my childhood, yeah. I and love my, that. Yeah, sick time. And, and Yeah, and your convalescence. Yeah. Uh, so, so you're watching things set in the Depression and in a country that is teetering on the brink of fascism. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so it's not exactly escapist. Yeah, but it, it was like, you know, it's sort of like... You know, they said the reason Jaws was so popular was because the country was going through such a shitty time at that time. Was we in a recession? What and like you just like to see people who have it worse off than you do. So you know, and and I had it pretty bad those few weeks. So it was nice seeing the Nazis rise to power because I was like, well, at least, well, I'm maybe we're not living through that period again. Right. But that's right. really debatable, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that. I, I you know, Oh yeah, I I remember uh, just going back to Plaza Suite, uh, li- lying in bed one night and reading the like we subscribe to the New York Times and then I never read it and I feel guilty and then at night I read it in bed because I don't want it to go to waste and gasping and my my boyfriend rolls over and goes what and it was the first time that I saw an ad for Plaza Suite and was so excited to go to New York and see it as I know so many people were and. You know, no detail about SJP is too minor for me for you to share. But um, how 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 was it going up until you know the Titanic began to sink? Yeah, exactly. It was a dream. It really was. I mean, you know, I went into it because this is only the second thing I've ever directed in my first Broadway show, and uh, we had done a reading of it three years ago at Symphony Space in New York, and. I asked Sarah, Jessica, and Matthew, who are old friends of mine, if they would want to read something. And they were like, sure, let's find something to do together. We haven't worked together in 25 years. Why not? We, we landed on this play, um, which is such a, uh, such a great play about relationships and marriage and long-time term marriages and uh, relationships that are just beginning. And it just seemed like a perfect fit for them, not just because of the meta thing of them being a married couple themselves. But if you don't know the play, it's those two actors play six different parts and every part fit them perfectly. So they were like, the next night we had dinner and they were like, we want to do this and we think you should direct it. So two and a half, three years later, uh, I'm directing it. And I have uh, never had a, a better time in a rehearsal room. And 
I, I loved watching them love working with each other because I don't even think they knew. You know, they've been married for 25 plus years, but they've only worked together for a very brief amount of time. She replaced uh, in the last month or two of how to succeed in business. So they only had a little short amount of time working together. And, um, and to see them so enjoy each other's company was a great joy to behold and also a huge fucking relief because like, what if they hadn't liked each other? Mm-hmm. You know, what if they, and they, I, we, I talked, we talked about this. I was like, you guys, you know, you spent your whole marriages working, whole marriage working, um, uh, and then coming home to each other. Now you have to go to work together and come home together. Should you get separate apartments? Should you get, but they really, really delighted in each other's company. And that um, joy was manifest and very palpable in the, with the audiences we had in Boston. We did a three-week run in Boston, and we had like 1,700 people there a night. The run completely sold out, and it was really, really great. And it was, so, it was such a thrill to watch people watch them. I, didn't, I knew that he was a big deal, and I knew that she was a big deal. I kind of underestimated what a big deal they would be together, how much people would enjoy seeing them be on stage together. So yeah, so what, what, the last. what's the future now? Um, uh, well, they just announced that we will do it starting March 13th, 2021 in, uh, it, at the Hudson theater where our set is standing. Um, and we would open officially April 19th, 2021. But that of course is if we're back, you know, I mean, I think it's still a big question, isn't it? I, it just, I'm no expert, but it seems to me like there's got to be <clears throat> a huge amount of safety in place. And whether that means a vaccine, like, you know, I just don't know how people are going to go into a crowded space like that, <clears throat> like that without some safety in place. You guys agree? Oh, I, I absolutely agree. That, it's just and in theory, that, that means that the Hudson Theater will be empty for the next year. Absolutely. Well, David Byrne is scheduled to take American Utopia back into that theater this fall, um, which would mean they would have to take our set out and store it and let him do his show again. But that's uh, highly, yeah. I don't know if it's unlikely. I mean, I hope it happens. I hope that that he's able to do it again this fall. But but it seems unlikely, you know? I mean, there was a great cartoon. I think it was in The New Yorker. Where else would it have been? Uh, where when they closed the Broadway shows, there was an old couple in their apartment. He was reading the paper, and he's just saying, they, they just closed the Broadway theaters. Where am I supposed to go to cough? <laughs> Which is, <laughs> in the, at the best of times, in the best of times, a Broadway theater is a, just a total Petri dish, you know? Big time. You're picking up yeah. a water bottle. They're right, you know, you've got somebody else's program. People are right on top of you. So they got to figure that out. But I can't wait to be back and cough together. Yeah, I want to cough. I want you to cough on me. I want to cough on you. (laughs) If if we still have social distancing in place, does that mean that my actors, I guess because my two actors are married to each other, that maybe the rule is in a good position there. Yeah, it's like, is the string section going to have to sit six feet apart from each other? That doesn't seem doable on any level so you might be the only show in town where the actors can do the their 
original blocking. Absolutely. Absolutely. That might, yeah, marriage has its advantages. <laughs> you know, when I was um, just uh, doing some Googling just to prepare for this, you know, one of the first uh, aut- like sort of autofill things that come up on Google is John Benjamin Hickey, Tiger King. And I said, what is happening here? And I don't know if you've seen this, Dave, but several sources have called on John to play um, uh, 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 Joe Joe Exotic. Exotic? Yeah. That's dream casting is what that is. I think maybe Nick Cage is a little bit more of a draw and a a little bit more on the money. I I, I don't know where that first appeared. I think it was on Vulture. Yeah. Just after I'd gotten well. And I had, and I, and also just as after I'd watched Tiger King, I was so, it was like the cure for COVID with somebody saying that I should play. I was so deeply flattered and, and deeply um, excited by the idea. And they had other great people like Patty Clarkson should be, um, yes. what's Carol Baskin? Green casting, but yeah. imagine how fun it would be to be in a, a, a the TV Tiger King. With well, that. but keep it, keep it, keep it open. Keep it open. Keep an open mind about it. And I would only direct you back to the Amy Fisher story. Yes. You know, 1992, 93, literally every network had their own Amy Fisher story. Yeah, Drew Barrymore got a swing at it. Uh, Alyssa Milano got a swing at it. There were, there were high art takes. There were, you know, commercial takes. I think everyone is going to take their unique swing. I, uh, I, Yours will be the elevated one. I remember yes. the Alyssa Milano story, but who played her, the, the, the wife, um, Joey Batafuco's wife? I think oh, it might wow. have been, one of them might have been um, Meredith Baxter. Can I, I think one? so. I was going to say, oh, I think that feels right. I think right. you might be right. Check that me. feels right. I would hate to be wrong. I would love to be right about that. Yes, you're right. There could be several Tiger Kings, but I think we're all in very much agreement that nothing's ever going to top that just that 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 thing how are they going to make it better than that yeah or worse than that but i would have said the same (laughs) thing about gray gardens you know and and they Mm -hmm. made a beautiful television movie out of that so they really did sure uh which is your favorite of joe exotic's husbands oh man the poor unfortunate soul oh poor i mean my gay friends called me you know, first of all, they're like, have you seen Epis? Have you seen his second husband? And I was like, just no spoilers, no spoilers. Um, oh, God, that was the most horrible moment I've ever seen in anything. Um, Truly. He was, what was his name, that poor fella? Travis, I think. Travis. Yeah, Travis, Mal- Travis yeah. Maldonado. Travis was gorgeous. And I mean, even, you know, Toothless Joe was what my friend Kristen Johnston would have called country hot. Like, yes. <laughs> that you might not necessarily, you know, think of in the city if you're stuck out in the middle of the country uh, you know what not so bad but but the big <laughs> shocker was that i mean i don't want to be rude about this but they were gay for pay they were gay for meth weren't they i mean the, when, i guess when we found out that both of them were fucking all the girls like neither of them were gay right yeah, that's what it, 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 it seems to. Yeah. And they seem awfully affectionate. Like those boudoir pictures are very intimate and passionate Completely. for gay for pay guys. Boudoir pictures. And, and there's one sequence where they're out like, you know, off-road, what do you call that? You know, and uh, off-roading. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Travis goes to kiss Joe and he very sweetly like wipes his mouth off. And I was like, oh, he's so sweet to Joe. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
how they wound up in that universe is uh, is very complicated and kind of and, and, and tragic. And I hear that um, the the first husband is was mad that they didn't show him with his new teeth. He has sure. new teeth now. Yes. He's, yeah. It is more. And he, he looks great. He does look good. He's got a he's got a compers. You show up for an interview for a documentary with no shirt. You know what you're getting yourself into. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. Like. And uh, do you think he showed up with no shirt or did he say, you know what, I have an idea or maybe the filmmaker had an idea. And- uh, who, who's yeah. to say it, it, it is absolutely impossible for me to put myself into the head of any of those people. Yeah. 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 And uh, I just saw something on the news that like Carol's husband's Carol's late husband's name may have been forged on his will. Oh boy. boy. I don't know. They've reopened that case, right? Yeah, something's have. going on there. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we'll be hearing about them for the rest of our yeah, lives. Sure. It's yeah. until until the day we die, we'll be seeing their faces and Donald Trump's face. Until Alyssa Milano, until Patty Clarkson and John Hickey get to play <laughs> those guys, we'll be. Uh, let's hope we hear about them until that iteration. I love it. I love it, uh, John. What did you grow up watching? What was like your first favorite? Like, what was the first show that you would just never miss? Um, I mean, you know, I was a big Brady Bunch family. Sure. I was big, uh, you know, they would, after school, there'd be the Merv Griffin show. I loved that show. And then they, I would go over to Channel 11 in Plano, Texas, was the rerun channel. So our reruns were Leave it to Beaver, and we just lost Eddie Haskell. Did you see that? I, I saw that. that. Yeah, the reason nobody trusts nice kids. Yeah, exactly. And that name still applies you can still use that as a you know yes um uh it was leave to beaver gilligan's island lucy dick van dyke that was my magic two hours that's the block solid lineup well my brother was begging me to come play touch football across the street i was like no i want to stay home and watch you know the merv tony fields might be on the merv griffin show (laughs) (laughs) Um, I loved, so I loved reruns and then, uh, and then I, beca- I really came of age with the advent of the, the miniseries and the miniseries that probably was the first thing that made me go, uh Oh, I've got inappropriate feelings was uh, rich man, poor man with, with, uh, Ooh. Peter Strauss and Nick Nolte. Do you, does that remember? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I'm going to pull up some imagery just to. That was continue. Yeah, that was a crazy, and it was a great, and it was the theme that my family, which were all usually in separate corners, it was the like a bonding experience. My family watched that together, Rich Man Poor Man. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah, The miniseries was an event. Was it was an event? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I the, your Thorn Birds, Thorn Birds, huge too. That was another one where Richard Chamberlain and Rachel. Ward, that was her name, yeah. Yeah. But that was, it's so hard to remember a time where everything was happening in that real time. Like you, you would only be, you would all be able to talk about, there were no such thing as no spoilers because you had watched it at the same time every night that week and could go to the water cooler the next day and talk about it. Whereas now, you know, you can binge something. We didn't have those words back then. No, no. You needed to be in front of the television at 7 p.m. Yeah, yeah. To catch it from the beginning. I, uh, yeah, I, I loved a, uh, I loved a Thornbirds. I, I was, I kind of 
came of age in the when the miniseries got super trashy. Celebrity, oh. Lace. Oh yeah, uh, Phoebe Case. Which one of you bitches? Phoebe Case. Phoebe yes. is a great oh, friend of God. mine, and I still say that line to her sometimes. Oh and wow! Not offended when I do it. When she says something that annoys me, I'm like, which one of you bitches is my mother? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I totally. love it. Those were very trashy ones. They got they got trashy. Um, yeah, real trashy. Wives. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. that, those have to be streaming somewhere. If uh, not, MeTV needs to get on it. Yeah, many, uh, MeTV should have a, uh, like a, they should run Roots the way we saw Roots, which was, you know, one, like it ran for a full week, two hours every night. Yeah. So uh-huh. yeah, it'd be cool to see it that way again. <laughs> Did you watch, because um, I've just gone through Visible, uh, that Apple TV documentary about uh, about queer people in television. And they make a, a big deal out of uh, an early frost. Oh, very, very huge for me. Very huge. Yeah. Yeah, I was, that was, because that was when the bad stuff, they started being able to tell stories, not just about shame and acceptance or, uh, right. there was a, there was a TV movie the same year with Marlo Thomas and uh, Martin Sheen and my friend Talia Balsam. I can't, I can't get blanking on the actor's name, but it was about a son coming out as gay and them not uh-huh. being able to accept it. And it was not great. And then six months later, because AIDS was part of the, you know, uh, the national dialogue then, an early frost came out, which was amazing. Aiden Quinn, the great Aiden Quinn, D.W. Moffat. Um, oh. Yeah, yeah. And it was, wasn't it Ben Gazzara and Jenna Rollins as the parents? It was just a- Yes, it was. And it was so uh, incredibly sad and great. Yeah. Those- yeah I, uh, what was that movie? Hold on. It was it was consenting adult, wasn't it? Adult, yeah, you, yeah. I remember that yeah. because I remember there was there was a scene. It was Barry Tubb, Barry Tubb. playing the, the gay son, yeah. uh, who would then go on to be in Top Gun, which was an even gayer movie. Yes, it was. Um, yes, but there, there was a thing where he like accepts a ride home from the mall from some guy with a van, and then they stop oh. in a parking lot, and you just nothing happens, but you understand that they're about to go into the back of the van and oh. do it. Well, dude, what and I was 15 and on fire. What you're reminding me of is I was 17 or 18, 18, because I was in my first year of college, and my mother came to a, uh, a teaching conference thing in San Antonio, right near where I was in school, and she wanted to go to the movies that night, and she, there were two movies playing at the mall, and one of them was Shoot the Moon, the great uh, Alan Parker movie with Diane Keaton and Albert Finney. And the other one was a movie called Making Love. And I knew enough to know that I couldn't go see that movie with my mother. And yeah. I did, thank God. But I did see it. And those two guys, Michael Onkeen and Harry Hamlin. Together, oh, yes. Scorching. I remember this. And the movie is, it's not, not a great movie. No. But you watch those two guys in that movie and Kate Jackson who's like that, you know, a Charlie's angel was in that movie. But those two guys absolutely go for it in that movie. They're not afraid of those parts. And I really, really admired them because I'm sure it fucked up, fucked them up. I'm sure it fucked their careers up a little bit. They they love making scenes. They really are um, very bold in, in their portrayal of those characters. And that was at a time when that had enormous career-ending risk attached to it. 
Absolutely. I, that movie was on television uh, in later years, like late night television. And I remember it being in the basement and watching it with the sound at like one out of 20, my face <laughs> an inch from the screen. Yeah. Like a, an ear to the stairs, just in case anybody came down. Yeah. The most exciting it was. crash <laughs> movie ever. Feeling of knowing like this is going to mean so much more to me than I want it to. And, or that I want anybody noticing it doing to me, it's going yeah. to do that to me. And it did. That movie really did. Yeah. And where was young John Benjamin when he's seeing that movie in terms of um, knowing that you were an actor? No. Oh, I was going to say knowing that I was gay or knowing that I was an actor. Um, I don't think, I think I was scared of being the idea that I was gay. And I think I was even more scared of the idea that I wanted to be an actor. I was doing a lot of, uh, stuff in high school, you know, just kind of recreationally. And then uh, in college, I started doing it a lot more. Um, but I thought I, if I did come to New York, I would study film and I would become either a filmmaker or a film critic. I read Pauline Kael all the time back then. And like, if, you know, that might've been another thing that helped turn me gay, that in Michael Longtine and Harry Hamlin. Um, but I thought I would study film theory and criticism. That was a course you could take at NYU. But I was not, uh, I, was, I didn't have the courage to admit that I wanted to be an actor. I actually didn't. And then I came to New York. I finished an English degree at Fordham University and did plays. And I auditioned for Juilliard and got in, which was like getting a golden ticket. And that, the moment I got in, I was like, oh, I'm going to be an actor. Now I get to say I'm going to be an actor because I have the golden ticket. That's exactly what that was. And were you out when you got into Juilliard? No, 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 no. I was, uh, had ter- terrific relationships with women and, and was very, very much, I would say, uh, in the closet. Um, I mean, I, I knew, but I was still trying, you know. And, uh, and, you know, I came to New York in 83 armed with two Time Magazine covers. One of them had Madonna on the cover and the other one had the AIDS, you know, it was a, a huge cover story about AIDS. And I read that in Plano, Texas. So I came to New York afraid, afraid of who I was, but also afraid of what might happen if I, if I ended up being that. Um, so I think that helped keep me locked in pretty tight for another, if I came to New York at 21, another 10 years. Another mm-hmm. 10 years at least, yeah. Yeah, 10. Um, so yeah, it took me, it took me uh, uh, quite a bit of time. I mean, it didn't stop me from doing a bunch of gay plays and stuff because I, I'm sure that it, it appealed to me, to my soul, because that's who I was as a, a human being. But it was also like to be in Terrence McNally's Love, Valor, Compassion, all the cool kids wanted to be in that play. Gay, straight, you know, John Slattery and I wanted to be in that play, as friend, you know, and I got to be in it. So that was just, that had nothing to do with me being gay more than it had to do with me wanting to have a career that, you know, included being in a Terrence McNally play. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, so that helped that cert- those, those mentors, those heroes, you know, people like Terrence and, and Craig Lucas and, of course, later Tony Kushner and the director, Joe Mantello, you know, 
the cool kids knew who they were and weren't afraid to admit it. And I, I caught up eventually and became very cool. Love that. <laughs> you sure did. So what were the first steps of that process like? Like what were, what were your early sort of dating experiences? It was, I mean, I, I'm going to just go, go. Andy Cohen has been so vocal about it. Um, you know, I came of age in the era of phone sex and, mm-hmm. and, and, and hooking up that way. And it's the way Andy and I, who's my best friend of 25, 26 years, longer, longer now. Um, oh God, it's, I can't believe it. I think it was like 92 when we met. 92, 93. Uh, we picked each other up off of a phone sex line. He, you know, and that was back when you didn't, it's the first time I've ever talked about this. You, that's, you, you didn't know what the person looked like. You know, there were no, no. you couldn't even put a fake picture up in, in No. You just rolled the dice. You just had to butch up that voice and roll the dice. Why I had a huge career in voiceovers for about 10 years was because I'd spent enough time, you know, cultivating yeah. that, uh, that drag. Um, and he came over. He had uh, rollerblades and a very long ponytail. Wow. Um, he looked like, you know, the nice Jewish boy version of what's her name, Heather Graham in Boogie Nights. Yeah. <laughs> we had maybe two seconds of, of lust, but it was immediately best pals. And I remember we went on a date a few days later and he had a, uh, to a restaurant called the Paris Commune in the West Village. It's long gone. And he had a denim shirt on. And do you remember Gene Meyer ties? They were, they were very popular in the 90s. They were like horizontal stripes. He yes. had a Gene Meyer tie on. And but that was, that, you know, you, you were, it was... You know, it was uh, it was uh, it was easy to to kind of do it. Um, what's the word? Um, you know, um, sub. You could you could hide. What's the right. word I'm looking for? You could you could you. It was, you know, Not anonymously. I mean, no, it was it was anonymous in that way. But it was just nobody. You know, you there. there I, I was I was afraid to death of bars. I've never been a bar person, sure. no matter. What? I mean, I'm just not a big bar guy. Um, but back then, it was covert. It was very covert. Right, right, right. Uh, clandestine, you know. It was uh, all those C words that I, that I liked because it kept you hidden. It was kind of easier to be that way back then. And then, of course, there was the fear of, you know, sick, being sick. So, of course. It was, it was very uh, furtive, and, and uh, I was very careful about the whole thing. And, immersed myself in work and school and sure. started dealing with who I was. Well, I mean, you had to immerse yourself in work because those phone bills on the 976 line were oh no God. joke. Oh, my God. I had a, uh, a friend from childhood, before I knew about them, come to stay with me in New York, and, the, and he was straight, and he was calling straight phone sex lines, and I didn't know it. And two months after he left, I got a $1,400 Phone bill. My my rent was four hundred and fifty dollars on Thompson's Uh, village. I was like, I was, I called him back in Texas, and I was like, "Dude, do I have to call your mother and tell her? (laughs) Or are you going to send me this money?" (laughs) He somehow got me the money. Yeah, yeah. They were dangerous. Those things. Maybe they'll come back with uh with the COVID crisis. You know, 
People are using that. Zoom in that way, I'm told. Uh, yeah, that, see, that requires, I'd need about six ring lights. <laughs> that right. Require, I would need, you know. Yeah. yeah a it is neither yeah. covert nor clandestine. Yeah, I, I want to make sure the pillows were right, everything. Of course. And also, like, you can never be sure the other person isn't recording their screen. Oh, God. Yes. Yes. Was that a concern in the phone sex days? Like, when you're in that period of life and you meet Andy, you you were already an established actor, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so were you... Interview. <laughs> Sorry? I was up until this interview. Now I'm spilling all the <laughs> no, I'm just um, All this stuff. We're, uh, w- you, there, you must have, there must have been some fear of being outed that depends, way. Quite frankly, it just depended on, on how horny you were. You know? Sure. You, you thought about that up until the point where you just had to find some way to get laid, be it virtual or, or, or non-virtual. Um, but sure, I, I, I probably was, you know more careful than I was reckless, but I, I, I probably had my reckless moments. You know, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? <laughs> now, how did your, how did your community, how did your like queer community come together? Was it through work then? If you're not a, uh, a bar person? Yeah, it was, it was through people like Andy. It was through people I worked with, you know, my old friend, Joe Mantello and his partner at the time was Robbie Bates, John Robin Bates. And the first play I did in New York, uh, even before Love Valor was a great Robbie Bates play with Roger Reese and Nancy Marchand. And, um, so, you know, the back to that thing of wanting to be one of the cool kids, the cool kids I knew were queer and most of them were out. So that's how my, my community started from a, a work thing. Um, and, uh, and continues to this day, you know, I just finished this doing this play, the inheritance and, met a whole new generation of, of a lot of them were queer, a lot of them were straight. Um, but, you know, I, I make most of my family is built through work, like for most of us. But when you're in the theater, when you're a gypsy like that, you make these incredibly sort of site-specific, intense family relationships um, that you live, eat, and breathe these people. So I guess the answer to your question was all through work. It's all through right. Yeah. And we don't, and we don't know what the future of of that kind of work and really any kind of socializing is. I'm, I'm yeah. concerned about the young people coming into New York and finding their yeah, I mean, yeah. New York right now is is everybody here um, in another in, in L.A. Are you guys all in L.A.? We are. We're all in L.A. We are. Yeah. Um, feels like L.A. is the future. You know, my partner has a house there that he had long before we met. Um, and it's like, I don't know, there's a part of you that feels like, are we going to go to Los Angeles when it's time? Because it feels like there's more space there, you know? But, you know, what is my identity without New York City? Right after 9-11 happened, I, I was in a really amazing production of The Crucible that starred Liam Neeson and Laura Linney. And um, there's a, a great actor named Henry Stram was in it. And it was all during the red and orange alerts. You remember the coding, yeah. alerts, you know, what color was, how dangerous it was outside. And we were all talking about it in the dressing room one night. And Henry said, oh, I'm not going to pay any more attention to that. I figure if they're going to, if they're going to 
annihilate New York City, take me with it. Because really, who wants to live in a world where there's no New York City? And <laughs> I, I kind of, you know, I, I feel that way. I don't imagine being a really, I, these kids who I, were in the, I was in the inheritance with, like they just had the ride of their lives. And now it's just, it's just completely over. It's nothing. And so I guess the only response to that is it has to come back, right? I mean, it has to, yeah, it has to where we, we, we just, I just can't consider what the alternative would be. And as far as television goes, I heard a thing the other day where they were like, well, you know, they'll quarantine the casts of TV shows and there'll be no such things as guest stars anymore. It will just be, and somebody said, well, what are they going to deep dive into Mariska Harkate's personal life again? (laughs) You know, like SVU is a, it's about who the murderer is that week. So yeah. we got a long way to go before we figure out what the new normal is, you know? Yeah. Oof. But I, yeah, I certainly hope it includes plays and I hope it includes plays where we all get to sit next to each other. You know, mm-hmm. I, the idea of a Neil Simon play with people just sitting, you know, three or four seats apart and just doesn't seem, doesn't seem doable, but anything's possible. So tell us how you and your partner met. Um, on a gay phone sex line. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> the next best thing at a brunch, at a lunch, uh, you know, I don't, I don't do brunches. I never done brunches. I, I feel like New Yorkers don't really do them, especially people who work like I do, which was not nine to five. Um, I worked on Sundays. Uh, I was in LA shooting a TV show, a TV show that was ahead of its time, but a sweet show called It's All Relative. We were gay dads, me and Chris Siever. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, we were like the fussy, it was like the little, like the birdcage. We were like the uptight, mm-hmm. we were the gay parents and the, and the blue collar family. We each had kids and, uh, they married and, you know, we were from other sides of town and mayhem ensued. Uh, I was doing that show. I went to a lunch or a brunch party at my friend, Jeff Greenberg, who is a great, great casting director. Oh yeah. And, uh, Jeff Richmond, my partner, was there, and he was writing on Frasier at that time. And we met and started uh, dating, and that was like 18 years ago, a long, long time ago. Yeah, and our lives for most of those 17, 18 years have been um, in separate cities. He spent most of his time in L.A. because he was on Modern Family the whole run, uh, 10 years of its 11-year run. He was an executive producer and writer on that. And I was spending most of my time in New York, Canada, New Mexico working. So these eight or nine weeks is basically the longest period of time we have spent together. And we just realized like, I don't even, who are you? I don't even know you. No, it's actually, it's, we're actually doing really, really well, but we've had, um, we've had a very cross country uh, by coastal relationship for all this time uh but we met we met uh we met at a I, I don't i don't necessarily think it was gay but there were a lot of gay people there and we were set up we were set up at this lunch so thank you jeff greenberg wow well done yeah he cast that relationship very well he cast that relationship well absolutely absolutely yeah it is a so nice you, time, you know I, there's so no i was just gonna say that it, it, it 
people joke so often about being uh, quarantined with their spouse and driving each other crazy and how the divorce rates are going to spike. We all come out of this, but I, I've had a similar experience that I, Michael and I've been together for over six years and this is wow. the first time that we've been together for multiple, had, had dinner together every night. This is, this was unheard of until going? now. How's that working out for you? It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. I mean, you learn how to get out of each other's way when yeah. it looks like something bad is about to happen. If something's about to be thrown, you know, it's like you, 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 you learn like, okay. And you, it's like, it's fun to go to separate corners, you know, um, and then come together for, for, for dinner. I never, my mother taught home economics in Plano, Texas for 30 years and then was an administrator for another 20. She has a school named after her, Hickey Elementary in Plano. But home economics were in the 50s and 60s teaching women, how to, girls, how to cook and sew and keep a house. And then it, and then it changed as the sexual revolution happened. It is, and then it was called home and family living because um, <clears throat> it was more involved, more sex education and family planning and all that kind of stuff. But I, find, I realize now what home economics means. It means when you're having dinner, you have to th- talk about what you're going to do for dinner the next night and the night after that. Mm-hmm. Stuff has to be taken out of the freezer. I never understood that before. Uh, and I'm getting a, we're all getting a, a, a big lesson in that now. Yeah, well, I was, and I was always so terrified of being a couple who was at dinner talking about what you're going to eat at the next meal, but I've, I've really leaned into it. I mean, it's, it's great. There's excitement in it. Yeah, thank God for the New York Times cooking app and Melissa Clark and the One Pop Wonders because I'm left to my own defenses. I'm, I don't think I'm a great cook. But if I have a good director, it's like acting. It really is. You have, sure. night, you have bad nights, but you need somebody telling you what to do. I do. I can't right. make shit up. Right. Yeah. We Now, Ben and I have worked from home for a long time the both of us. Ben's got a studio out in the guest house. And so we're, we, we are used to being in the same place during the day. The, the difference for us now is we can't go out. So like, because we were on top of each other sort of during the day, we would typically have dinner together, but then we would also like, he would meet a couple of friends for drinks and snacks, or I would meet a couple of friends for drinks and snacks. And it was, you know, yeah. but now that we don't do that anymore. So our new thing is 5 p.m. every single day, front yard with lawn chairs and gin gimlets. And we just, we wave at the world as it goes by. And it's like, there's an, an enforced time of togetherness. I have the exact same thing. I put like a little, um, Jeff calls it the charcuterie board, even though it's like, you know, like whatever we're going to snack on while we watch, I watch the weather and then I watch uh-huh. the news. Basically just retired people is what it feels like. I'm more, yeah. first of all, let's acknowledge how fortunate we are to be able to of course. have that luxury to, but, but it's, it's that coming together. I've had to learn how to, you know, measure my alcohol intake because the one thing I do know is that, especially now that kind of rosé season started, I can be like, yeah. hey, watch it. You, you, you like, yeah. I, I'm close to putting a mark on the bottle. Like, do not go below <laughs> this line. Um, yes. And enjoy having that at night. Dave, um, I know this is my interview, but I want to know how have you been and, and, have you have ever, ever felt exposed? Both of you guys have been safe and well through this whole thing, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. you have, you've talked about underlying condition. I mean, how have you been? Yeah. Cause I have other friends who have diabetes who have. Right. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, 
there's conflicting reports about whether type one diabetes is is a risk factor for right. COVID complications. Um, I don't know that to be true. My um, I don't know anyone in my type one community who has had it. Yeah. Um, I have a uh, a good friend who who has type one. His wife does not. They just got the antibody test, and they've been they've been quarantined together for months. Right. Um, and she tested positive and he tested negative. Wow. So I don't, yeah. he doesn't understand how that happened. I don't understand how that happened. Um, the, the sort of the, I think the conventional wisdom is that if you get it, um, you might be at higher risk if you are diabetic for, for a, a worse time. But wow. I think that also has to do with, with work, with less stringent control over your sugars, which I am super neurotic about that. So wow. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not concerned. Yeah, good. And, and I have felt fine through the whole thing. I'm waiting for the results of my antibody test now. And do you guys, it was, uh, well, good. And I hope they're, I guess I hope they're positive, right? You want, the, you want the, I think, I think so. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a weird thing to wish for, isn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah. One does want that fortification. I mean, I don't, I'm not, we're not entirely sure what it means other than the fact that you've been exposed to it. Um, right. You know, it doesn't guarantee anything, uh, unfortunately, but uh, you know, I, I only realized recently how truly special I was in that it, 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 in conversation, realizing there's that I'm, I'm one of the only people, a lot of people in my world knew who had it. Like Jeff, a lot of his world is in Los Angeles and people would be calling in to check on me. And I was like, oh, that's so sweet. They're checking on me. He's like, you're the only person they know and they care about you. But it's like, it, it's 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 weird how a lot of my friends in LA haven't seen anyone who's had it. Do you guys know people? I do know a couple of people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, really, only one or two in LA. Um, a few in New York and and a couple in London. But well, I know a lot of people in a couple New York, in LA, and I know a few people in London. But I don't. I haven't heard. I don't know anybody in LA. Of course, it's there, and of course, you know, I just don't know anybody. But. Um, mm. You know, that, that thing about New York and especially in the Broadway community, as far as my world, it just fucking just ran through it. I mean, like the, the Moulin Rouge cast, so many people got sick in that cast. And Really? Yeah, and the week I was most contagious was the week I was in tech with my actors and all of my designers. And, you know, being in tech with people is like being in bed with people. You're all sitting in a theater together for 10 hours a day. In touch wood, um, only one other person in my in my company and crew got sick, and my cast didn't. And and you just don't know, like, how did I get it? How did I not give it to other people? And did that person, like Andy, got it? Did I give it to Andy? Did Andy give it to me? I, mm-hmm. It's it's really weird how you know, like you mentioned, talking about one person tests positive in a family and the other person's negative. How are they exposed and the other ones not? Yeah, I don't. We have a I lot of understanding this, don't we? We really do. We really do. How is it in Plano? How how is your family? I'm I'm very happy to report that my 92 year old mother, who still lives in her home by herself, I mean, she has help there, um, is able to uh, see my brother, who really looks after her, and so many people who are in assisted living. Most people who are in assisted living now are in total lockdown. And, and can't see their families, which is so horrifying and sad. Um, and everybody in my family is super, super careful and super 
fucking paranoid and scared about it. Thank God, because they don't know, they've not known anybody in their community who's had it. So you'd think that the, the you know, if you don't see anything that, that's, that says it's out there, you'd start to relax and let your guard down. But their guard is very, very much up. And I think they're all being, very, and everyone around them is being very careful in, in their re-entry into the workforce or the, so, you know. I'm assuming their community is reopened. Uh, yes, I think it's, uh, you know, in stages and it's like 25% capacity and, you know, there seems to be a lot of noise in Texas about hair salons. <laughs> to I, everywhere it's the hair salons. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I want my hair cut as much as the next guy, but really, I mean, I would think a Mexican food restaurant <laughs> would be more important than right, my Let's hair. prioritize. I want a margarita and some guacamole, you know, uh, yeah. before I want more my ear hair trio. Yeah. You know, it, it's, uh, it, to me, it's very inspiring to see how many people are taking it seriously and are doing the right thing. And, you know, I, I know the people who are, you know, shouting about tyranny are getting a lot of attention, but it's, it's, it, I love that 80% of the world is without being forced to changing their lives and making sacrifices and being conscientious and, and all of that. It, it, it reinforces I, 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 my faith. The first time I read what you were saying, so he said, like, what, a, what an extraordinary global gesture of love. Because it yeah. is. It's a loving thing to do. To say, and yes, it could be self-love. It could be like, I don't want that. I'm staying home. But to say, like, that's, why, that's kind of what I meant about the relief. I mean, thank God I had this amazing network superintendent and people in the building who would just make sure I was okay. But, but I, I loved being able to be by myself so I could contain what was going on inside of me. You know, I didn't want to, I, I, the idea of giving it to, to anybody else was, you know, horrifying. Um, so yeah, staying home is a good thing right now. Yeah. And now you having had it and, and recovering from it, I, you, ostensibly you would be able to now donate plasma and help other people, but there's, still this idiotic ban in place. Well, what is, I mean, Andy was incredibly eloquent about it. He did a thing on his show. Yeah. It was just, I mean, I was so proud of him. I was like, dude, run for office. Forget about these fucking housewives. Um, uh, I thought he was so smart and eloquent. About it. I didn't know. I mean, I was in touch with my doctor at, at Mount Sinai and, and was, had filled out the form to do it, not knowing that I was going to be a no. Um, it's crazy. What, what, what gives guys? Tell me. I don't know. And I don't know whether I, I mean, I certainly, you know, I spent my formative years, uh, trying to pass so I can call on that acting experience if I need to. Yeah. Totally. Um, but, but I, I, when I go in there, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. But I, but the idea of having to do that is, uh, extremely, uh, upsetting. Yeah. And I'm curious how far they are willing to go to, to verify, you know, if you were to lie on the forms, um, can they Google you and say, <laughs> yeah. well, this would say otherwise. And isn't HIV screened in all blood tests now? So I, I don't, I, I think so. It seems yeah. like, well, I, Andy said something along the lines, it's prohibitive to the point of being stigmatizing and homophobic is what it seems yeah. like. Right. But we're, we're past that now. 
Um, yep, exactly. And similar questions aren't asked about intravenous drug use, I don't think. Right. Yeah, or not to mention anybody in the straight community fucking right. exposing unsafe these. sex practices and yeah, among yeah, straight it. people. I don't, I don't get it. It's frustrating. It really is. It really is. So I would love to be a plasma donor, and I hope that you know once there's a, a safe kind of reentry back into New York on that level and I go see my doctor, he'll certainly take it and, you know, do whatever he can with it. I've had the antibody test. I have the antibodies. Um, but now we have to figure out what to do with our blood. If something good can be done with it. You know? right. Yeah. <sighs> John, this I could talk to you all day. I, I, I w- I've loved talking to you guys too. And I just feel like, I mean, I could. We we should go back to mini series. Great. I'm going to start Google. Absolutely. I love yes. our mini series idea. I think it's really good. Oh, it's got. I'd like for this to be a mini series so that we can have you back multiple, yes. multiple times. Nothing would make me happier. Let's get Peter Strauss and Nick Nolte next time. Oh, <laughs> even now, even today. Next time we are in the same city, let us break bread. I would love that very much. Until then, guys, be very safe and healthy and well. You do the same. Thank you. Well, Matt, we've come to the end of another episode. Dave, 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 Dave. Thank you for being here with me, giving me a reason to live. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for uh, sending us your flesh hunger stories and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts with five stars only, of course. Thank you to Renee Colvert with a T. Mm-hmm. Our, our producer, thank you to Ryan Connor, our engineer. Thank you to everybody at Earwolf. Uh-huh. Thank um, you, Ben Wise, for the music. Yes. And thank you, listener, for listening. Uh, tell a friend. Leave a review. We love you. <laughs>